Good morning. This morning's reading is from Philemon, verses 8 through 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Anisimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this, this awesome day, God, that you made for us to uh, be glad and rejoice in. And uh, Father, I thank you that um, for the reminder, the fresh reminder today in this passage, God, that, um, that all of our sin, every bit of it from the past, every bit from today and the future has been forgiven. As far as is the East is from the West, that, that our debt that we could never pay on our own has been canceled. And God, we thank you that as a result of our forgiveness, we're not just um, left here on this earth to live a hopeless, joyless, um, forgiven life and await heaven someday, but God, that, that you gave us life and you gave it to us to live out abundantly. And I thank you, Lord, that we are your plan A, that every forgiven person um, is your plan A for reconciliation, for forgiving others, and for being ministers of reconciliation. So, God, I, uh, there's a lot um, in this small section of Scripture, um, and I just pray, God, that you'd be gracious to us, and that, Holy Spirit, you would help me uh, just stand behind your word and that we would leave here, that every person would leave here just knowing just a bit more of your um, crazy, um, inexhaustible love for them. And may you receive all the glory and honor. And God's people said, amen. Am I uh, echoing or is that just kind of the bouncing between my two ears? That happens every once in a while. At my age. So this, this is going to be a little bit awkward. Um, Jason talked about these prayer cards. And I'm um, actually going to encourage you to fill out a card or two or ten, or none at all. Uh, but as the Lord leads you, fill it out with prayer requests. And when we go up to celebrate communion, I'd actually want to encourage you to um, drop any filled out prayer cards um, in the basket. And I want to give you a couple of uh, questions right up front that will actually uh, prompt your prayer requests. Um, as we talk about forgiveness today, 
one of the questions is, is what are you not understanding or believing about forgiveness and your standing in God's family? What are you not believing or understanding about forgiveness and, and who you are in Christ? If that's a struggle for you, if you're having a hard time like understanding how God could ever forgive you, um, ask for prayer. Um, you don't need to put your name on here. It can be, it can be anonymous. God knows who you are. Um, do you have a hard time forgiving somebody else? Have you been hurt deeply? Or maybe not so deeply, but have you been hurt by somebody else that, that you feel like they still are indebted to you because of the way they've sinned against you and you're having a hard time releasing them or um, canceling their debt? Um, express that on this prayer card and let the body here pray for you. Another question, who has God providentially put you in relationship with who needs to know the forgiveness of Christ? It could be a child, it could be a parent, neighbor, coworker. Who has God providentially put you in relationship with? I mean, you can, you can put, like, uh, you know, somebody on here that's, you know, like the, the new quarterback for the Broncos or something like that, but, but like somebody that you are providentially in relationship I don't even know if he's a believer or not. Is he a believer? Uh, he is a believer? Great. Then we should really root for him, huh? All right. Casey Keenum. Another question. Who is he calling you to share with? Um, if every believer is a minister of reconciliation, um, who is it that God is calling you to actually exercise um, that um, role with, to be a minister of reconciliation? So um, I want you to pay attention to the sermon. Um, this, uh, God has a lot for each of us today. I really believe that there's uh, something for um, every one of us here today. Um, but as the Lord prompts you, fill this out, and during communion, just drop it in the basket up there. So for those of you that are new with us, we're um, doing a three-week sermon series through the uh, pregnant book of Philemon. Um, it, is a, uh, it is 25 verses. We're doing three weeks in it, and uh, there's so much for um, all of us here. Um, I've titled this sermon, um, An Appeal to Do What is Required. An Appeal to Do What is Required. And it sounds like an oxymoron, because typically when you appeal to somebody, you don't command or require them. But Paul is going to make an appeal to Philemon to do something that is required. As I've been thinking about this passage and I've been contemplating um, just maybe some ugliness in my own heart, some unforgiveness that I've had towards some people, um, I, I know I sin against God. I, I'm, I'm aware that I sin against God actually um, every day, hopefully in decreasing ways. I sin in thought. I sin in deed. I sin um, in word. And I also know that this, this twin truth, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm completely forgiven. I'm declared righteous. I'm a beloved child of Abba Father, and I praise God for that. It's important to know those twin truths that we are, in fact, we're saints, we're clothed in Christ's righteous robes, that the Father doesn't see us as sinners, but we do sin. And other people sin against us. When I confess my sins, the Father is neither shocked nor is He informed. He knows that my need of grace is much greater than I realize that it is. But He also knows that my standing in His grace is much more glorious than I, ever, that I could ever, more than I could ever hope or imagine. But receiving His grace for me is often easier than extending His grace. Receiving His forgiveness for me is oftentimes harder than extending forgiveness to other people. 
Currently, there are a few 70 times 7 forgiveness scenarios in my life that are robbing me of joy, actually. And with that, I know that by God's grace that I've been over-the-top generous at times, but other times it's easy for me to withdraw, to be smug, and, and want the person that has hurt me to pay for the way they've hurt me. It'd be easy, actually, to gossip and tell others not to trust those who have hurt me. In short, I'm a mess. Some of you know that. If you don't, just get to know me a little bit better. I do know that not forgiving is not, isn't an option. Not forgiving anybody for whatever harm they have caused you or whatever debt you feel like they owe you is not an option. How about you? Is there anybody in your life that needs to be released? Is there somebody in your life that owes you something? Maybe they've hurt you in a, in a deep, profound way when you were a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Employer. Could have been a spouse. Who has wronged you? Who owes you? Are you able to forgive the offender? Do you even know what that looks like? So Philemon has a lot to say about this. And last week we taught through verses 1 through 7. Um, the key verses in that were verses 4 through 7 in, one, in the first part of it. And, and there's, there's three primary characters. There is Paul. Paul is writing the letter. Paul is in prison in Rome, most likely. Might be in Ephesus. Um, he's in it's house arrest. He's not in that uh, dark, uh, damp dungeon that he was in uh, when he wrote um, First and Second Timothy. But he's in prison nonetheless. Philemon is the recipient of the letter, the book of Philemon. Philemon is a rich, godly slave owner. Well, how does that work? Godly and slave owner. And there's probably discussion for another time. Paul doesn't speak against slavery in this context, but I believe it's because he, 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 he teaches that the gospel actually makes the ground at the foot of the cross even, and the gospel takes care of slavery. So Philemon is a slave owner, he's a godly man, and then there's Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave, he's the runaway slave. And he took off from uh, Colossae, which is where Philemon was, where he was a slave. And he probably stole something. We learn that in the, in the in, uh, I think it's in verse 22 or maybe it's 19. We'll learn this next week. He probably stole something from Philemon. We know that there are governmental, the Roman government, the Roman Empire has uh, allowed consequences to be placed on runaway slaves. There's bounty hunters that go after these slaves. And when they're caught, they can be uh, beaten, they can be uh, branded, and they can be killed. They can be crucified, actually, for being a runaway, a runaway slave. So there is uh, significant consequences for Onesimus for being a runaway slave. Spoiler alert, what we're going to see here is that Onesimus actually left as a slave, but he returns as a brother in Christ. It's a great story. It's a true story. Last week, we saw Paul affirm his love and commitment and appreciation for Philemon. Paul and Philemon apparently knew each other. There's some, there's some uh, tradition that says that Paul led Philemon to Christ about 20 years earlier. 
Paul was very aware of Philemon's faith and Philemon's love for Christ and Philemon's love for the church. Paul actually acknowledged that Philemon is one through his ministry who brings great refreshment to the body of Christ in the local church in Colossae. And now what we're going to see in the rest of this book, Paul says, I see this in you. I see that you have a faith. I see you living out your active faith. And actually the gospel uh, demands more. It demands more. Not to increase your standing, not to give you more of an identity, but out of the identity that you already have, the gospel demands more. So here we are in verse 8. Paul says, accordingly, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. What he said is, in accordance to who you are in Christ, in accordance to the faith that you profess, in accordance to the faith that you actively live out, I want you to do what is required. In verse 12, we see that Paul is appealing to Philemon to receive Onesimus back. So at the very minimum, Paul is making an appeal to Philemon, the rightful owner of Onesimus, to receive him back. At the very minimum, but it's not that cut and dry. Paul says, I'm bold enough to command you to do what is required. The first question we need to ask is, what's required? What's required? It can't simply be to receive Onesimus back as a slave. There's no requirement in the Roman law that Philemon needs to welcome him back. There's no requirement in God's law that that Philemon needs to welcome him back. He's a runaway. He stole. He quit his job. So the requirement can't be to receive him back simply. I would submit to you right up front that what's required from Philemon and what's required from every forgiven saint, brother and sister in Christ, is to forgive. It's not an option. It's a requirement. Paul says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I have the right to command you to forgive. But he says, for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. And an appeal is coming alongside someone as a friend to encourage them to change their mind based on information they may not be considering. Think about a court of law. When when there's been a judgment that's been handed out and and the attorney makes an appeal, he says, Judge, I'm appealing to you. Can Can I approach the bench? There's information that you may not have that might affect this case. So Paul is appealing to Philemon. He's appealing to him based on maybe what he's forgetting, that he is is one who has been transformed by the love of Christ. He is one who has been forgiven much by Jesus Christ. You see, if Paul were to command Philemon to do it, if if he would have done it out of compulsion, God doesn't get so much glory. We're called to obey. Actually, this side of the cross, um, free. We're not free from sin. We're, we're free from the penalty and the power and the guilt of sin, but we're not free to sin. So, so Paul doesn't command. He appeals to, to Philemon. He appeals to the love of Christ in him. In essence, Paul is appealing to Philemon from the inside out And while Paul had the right to demand that Philemon do what the apostle says, he appeals in love instead. This is what the gospel does. 
You know what? Somehow, some way in God's providence, Onesimus, a runaway slave, leaves Colossae, and he ends up in the house where Paul is in prison. I don't know if he sought Paul out. I don't know if it was just chance. But in God's providence, they ran into each other. And Onesimus came to faith. That Paul had the great privilege of leading Ani to faith. So in verse 10, we see this. Paul says, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. Paul is appealing to Philemon to receive him back as useful. Formerly he was useless, it says, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. There's a play on words here because the word Onesimus actually means useful. It means effective or profitable. But as an unbelieving slave of a believing owner, he was useless for Christian ministry. But now because of his transformation, he is useful in the Lord's hand for building his kingdom. You see, Paul would love to keep Onesimus with him. It says he's a blessing to Paul. Paul would love to keep him. And he'd love to keep him both because he was useful and because of his deep love for him. And brothers and sisters, when we come to Christ, when God radically um, changes our heart and we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, that you are useful. You are useful. That God has given you gifts to be used in the body of Christ for his glory and for the edification of the saints. You are not just useful though, but you are beloved. God loves you more than you can imagine. And just to test this, that Paul isn't just using Onesimus because he's useful. He's not handling this delicate and risky situation as a detached arbitrator or facilitator, but he has a fond affection for Onesimus. He says this in verse 12. He says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. You see, Ani wasn't just useful to Paul. He wasn't another conversion notch in Paul's belt. Paul loved him as a son. He said, I'm sending my very heart to you, Philemon. And it's not the common word for heart. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean this thing that's pumping blood. It's literally internal organs, the stomach and the intestines. It connotes affection or intimacy, a deep love. And I, and I, was, I was trying to think if I ever felt that. You know, I'm a pretty, like, matter-of-fact guy. I'm, I'm, I'm emotional at times. Well, I'm emotional a lot. Let's just face it. Um, we'll, see what hap- we'll see what happens yet here today. I think Tony was starting to cry when he was reading the Scripture. About threw me off, Tony, wherever you're at. But, but I was thinking about, have I, have I ever, like, felt that in my bowels, that uh, the affection and the sadness uh, because of that affection in handing somebody off? And all three of my kids I did. I remember um, taking Natalie to UNC the first day. I remember taking Mitchell to Colorado Christian University the first day. I remember driving Joey to um, Grand Canyon University, and all three times when I dropped them off, I just, I just ugly cried. I sobbed uncontrollably because it was my very heart that I was, I was giving to this university that I didn't know. Like, it's like life has changed. Life has changed. I don't know if I will ever have that back the same. 
But I, but I felt that the same with walking my daughter down the aisle. When I, when I um, handed the keys of her heart to Jared, there was a, there was a, a great affection that he was getting um, the best I had. There's a sense that Paul has given back to Philemon the best that he had. Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79, talks about this heart, this, this type, this deep affection. And I want you to listen to this. Um, and it's describing John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is gonna, is gonna make a way for Jesus the Savior. And it says, and you, child, John the Baptist, will, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his, prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Tender is that same word for heart, affection. God isn't just a cold, merciful God that He saved us because He loved us and He wants to have a relationship with us. Tender mercy, that's what that means. As we bump back to Philemon, verses 13 through 14, we see the heart of Paul's appeal to Philemon. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness may not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Um, I want you to feel the weight of this. Um, if we go to um, Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 9, we see that Onesimus and Tychicus actually took three letters back to Colossae. They took the letter to the Colossians, they took the letter to the Philippians, and they took this letter to Philemon. So it wasn't that Paul didn't just um, email this down to Philemon. He didn't, um, he didn't even fax it. It, wasn't that, it was longer ago than that. But he actually, that Philemon, or uh, Onesimus showed up at the doorstep, knocked on Philemon's door knowing that he could be arrested and handed him the letter. That Philemon handed him the letter knowing that he can be arrested. And he's st- I, I picture him standing there or maybe backing up uh, 10, 15 feet while Philemon reads this letter. Did Philemon accept him back? We have no idea. The Bible's silent on that. We don't know. It's, it's not for us to know. What's for us to know is that Paul is telling Philemon to do what's required. Whether Philemon did it or not, we don't know the answer to that. I trust that he did because of, because of uh, Christ in him, but we don't know. Let's go to the centerpiece of the text, verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why he was departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Philemon's going, why did he leave me? I mean, he, I was a good slave owner. I was a godly slave owner. Why did he leave me? And Paul says, Paul says, for this perhaps is why he was departed from you for a while that you might have him back forever. Now listen to this. Um, look at your Bibles. He does not say for this reason he departed. It doesn't say that. Does any Bible, anybody's Bible says for this reason he departed? It says he was departed. It says, he was, for this reason, he was departed. It doesn't say he parted himself, but was departed. This phrase is best seen as a divine passive when God is understood to be sovereignly behind the events. It's reminiscent of Joseph's story in Egypt. 
where he was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown in the pit, is dead. Um, and then they rescued him out of the pit just to sell him off um, as a slave. In Genesis 45, verses 5 and 8, um, Joseph said this to his brothers. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, God in His providence allows um, bad things to happen to us so that He can work His goodwill and purposes that we may not ever fully understand. In Onesimus' case, he departed as a slave and returned as a brother. He departed for a few months and he returns to Philemon for all time and for all of eternity. And it didn't matter so much It doesn't say also to receive him back a slave. Look at your Bibles. It doesn't say don't receive him back a slave. It says don't receive him back as a slave. You see, it doesn't much matter that outwardly he was a slave or outwardly he was free since both are one in Christ, Colossians 3.11. But though he remained a slave, he could no longer be as a slave. No longer as a slave is an absolute fact whether Philemon chooses to recognize it or not. Paul appeals to Philemon that this man is no longer just a hired hand, but now he is your brother for all of eternity. Paul is not necessarily telling Philemon to release Ani as a slave, but receive him as a brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord, meaning the spiritual reality that he's a brother and also treat him as a brother. Back to forgiveness. It's required of every Christian, every one of us. It's really an impossible task without God's Spirit in us. It's an impossible task without understanding how much we've been forgiven. And there's some who say in the church today that have taken on secular counseling, there's some who say that we don't have to forgive until somebody has asked for forgiveness. That's not what God's Word says. It's certainly a lot easier but it's not what God's Word says. Mark eleven twenty five, 25, uh, Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, what? Forgive when? If you have anything against anyone, and the Greek there is uh, anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The Lord's Prayer says the same thing. It says that the prayer is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And from this petition, we learn that we're not the only ones in debt. We have debtors of our own. People owe us. People owe us something for what they have done to us, and we're called to forgive them. And it's a hard, hard teaching. The prayer for forgiveness is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that comes with a condition attached. If we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. I don't fully understand this. I know a couple things. One is, is that we're not saved by works. But I do know this. The more that we understand the love of Christ, the more that we understand the height and depth and breadth and width of God's love for us, the more we understand how great our forgiveness has been, we're going to forgive. Those who have not been forgiven or don't understand their forgiveness are not going to forgive others because we're going to position ourselves as above other people going, how could you do that to me? not recognizing that we sinned in great ways 
against our king. Peter, you got to love Peter. Peter is a um, ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He's a chop the ear off first, ask questions second kind of guy. Some of you know that I can relate with that. And Peter had an honest question for Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. He was thinking about forgiving a brother. He had a question about forgiving a brother. And, and Peter was Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, and there was rabbinic law that says that you only had to forgive people three times. And Peter... Oh, one other thing before I get to this. Um, I want you to notice that the servant in this parable doesn't ask for forgiveness, but the servant wants to right his wrong. He wants to pay his debt that was impossible for him to pay back. So Peter comes to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter's going, yeah, I just doubled the rabbinic law and I added one. Seven. And Jesus responds back, I do not say to you seven but 70 times 7. In other words, you forgive until you die or I come back again. And he also is, the context here is, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He's not talking about forgiving the same sin over and over, the same, the same instance. He's talking about different occasions. Same person continue to sin against you in different ways, in different hours, in different days. And then Jesus, in his masterful way, starts to describe this in a parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And the king is a picture of God in this parable, who wished to settle accounts with his servants, and the servants are you and I. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent represents the equivalent of 20 years of wages back then. Um, if you put that, if you, if you multiply that out times 10,000, that's the equivalent of about $6 billion today that he was forgiven. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. He can't pay it. Sold his wife, sold his children, sold everything he had. Imagine that could be a good deal for some people. Not in this case. Payment had to be made, and that's what happened in that culture. When you couldn't make a payment, you were a slave. They sold everything you had, including your family. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 20 weeks of common labor is what they say it is. About $12,000 in today's terms. A lot of money. Nothing compared to $6 billion. And this servant that was forgiven much seized this other servant that owed him 20 weeks of common labor. Began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So, this, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, though, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. 
So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Being forgiven takes priority over forgiving others. If we had to forgive before we could be forgiven, then forgiveness would become a work, something we had to do to be saved. Yet salvation comes through grace alone. We cannot work off our debt. We can only ask for our debts to be canceled. And now having been forgiven by the grace of God, we are also able to forgive. And indeed, our ability to forgive is one of the surest signs of our having been forgiven. Those who are truly forgiven, truly forgive. Giving such forgiveness is costly. We talked about this last week. The more someone has hurt us, the harder it is to forgive. And I'm, there's like, there's like, I'm standing up here with no judgment on any of you. Some of you are um, in process and you're desperately wanting to forgive. If you have forgiveness issues and you're not wanting to forgive, there's bigger problems. But some of you have been he- hurt deeply. And you're working through this. And by the way, I would love to help you work through this. The other pastors and community group leaders would love to help you work through this. But as I mentioned last week, forgiving involves suffering. Like all pain and suffering, though, forgiveness brings great joy. Not only to the forgiven, but to the forgiver. There's freedom in forgiving others. Richard Wormbrand, some of you might know that name. He was a Lutheran priest in Romania uh, during the communist times. And he boldly proclaimed the gospel. They shut down his church and he went to a house church. And uh, eventually he was put in prison for 11 years and he was beaten horribly. And he never shut up. Uh, He never shut up. He He just kept proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and was beaten. But Wormbrand, Richard Wormbrand, once met a man who had experienced the divine release that comes through forgiveness. Wormbrand was in this communist prison in Romania at this particular time, and he was lying in a section of the prison that was referred to as Room 6. Anybody ever heard of Room 6? Some ministry needs to be called that. Because what happened is that as the prisoners were beaten or they were getting other diseases and they were dying, they were put in room six to die. And there were also guards that got sick and were dying and they put them in room six as well. And, and the story is, is that people were put in room six to die, but everybody that went there to die came out a believer. It was a place where the Lord was working in remarkable ways. So Wormbrand is in room six with a number of different men, and in the cot on his right was a pastor, another pastor, who had been beaten so badly that he was about to die. And on his left was the very man who had beaten this pastor, who was in a cot to Wormbrand's left. (coughs) One night, the communists awakened in the middle of a nightmare and cried out, Please, pastor, say a prayer for me. I have committed such crimes, I cannot die. And the pastor feebly got up, he stumbled past Wormbrand's cot, he sat at the bedside of his enemy. As he watched, Wormbrand saw the pastor caress the hair of the man who had tortured him and speak these amazing words, I've forgiven you with all my heart and I love you. 
If I, who am only a sinner, can love and forgive you, more so can Jesus, who is the Son of God and who is love incarnate. Turn to Him. He longs for you much more than you long for Him. He wishes to forgive you much more than you wish to be forgiven. And there in room six, the communist began to confess all of his murders, <coughs> all of his tortures. When he had finished, the two men prayed together. They embraced and they returned to their beds where each of them died that night. The Romanian pastor had learned how to forgive. He had learned this, <coughs> excuse me, from Jesus. He learned it from Jesus who forgave all of his debts and then taught him to forgive his debtors. This same Jesus forgives us and delivers us for by his death on the cross, he canceled our death and destroyed the power of sin and Satan <coughs> and he destroyed the last enemy, death. <coughs> We're going to slide into communion. <coughs> As I was thinking about this, um, you and I are Onesimus. We started out at home. We were created for a relationship with our Father. We left home. We parted in sin. God tracked us down. He brought us back home. And He brought us back in, not as slaves, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we are free. We are free in Christ. We are free from the power and the penalty and the guilt of sin. That Satan cannot harm us. He can lie to us. He can deceive to us, deceive us. But he can't harm us. In Colossians 2, 13 through 14. Let me read this to you. And you saints, were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with him, forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here at WCC, we, we celebrate communion maybe once a month, maybe a couple times a month. I think this is the second time we've done it this month. And it is just a grand time to remember how much you've been forgiven. And I just want to encourage you as I invite the worship team up, just want to encourage you to do business with the Lord. Um, take the elements back to your seat and, uh, and partake as the Lord leads you. We're going to do something different, family. We're actually going to um, we'll be singing a couple songs. We'll be singing while you're taking communion. So uh, feel free to sing and um, dance. And there's a couple flags and tambourines in the back if you want to use those. No, you don't have to. But yeah, just, just do business with God. And um, also just a reminder, as the Lord leads you, if this um, passage in this sermon prompted you to, to need prayer for any reason, uh, put it on here. In the 24 hours of prayer next week, we're going to uh, pray our socks off for you. <laughs>